Hello, everybody. Um, all right. So to start off, I, I want to kind of set a scene for y'all that has nothing to do with the Bible. We'll get there. You'll see it in a second. But um, I want you to imagine either the last time you went to a concert or maybe even the first time you went to like your best, like your major concert. This is like your first concert that you went to. And this was a band you loved. Okay. Anybody want to just tell me what that concert was that's like stands out in your mind? Was, I'm looking at Bill because I know he's been to some really good ones. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah, no, I didn't, that sounded sarcastic and I didn't mean it to. Sometimes that's my default. Uh, so I want you to kind of put, put that in your mind. You're at the concert. It is as awesome as you thought it was going to be. And they're like, here's our last song. And they play the last song, lights go down, they go off stage, and what does everybody do? Encore. Encore. They want to hear another song. And now, once upon a time, you kind of had to, like, the audience had to really, like, earn it, you know? And you're kind of thinking, guys, if we don't all cheer, they're not going to come back out. That's what I used to always think, and that could have been true. Um, now, I think it's very much planned or whatever, but... Um, but I remember thinking, they have to know that we really want it uh, before everybody comes out. And there's always that moment when you're thinking, they might already be back in the tour bus. They might have left, and they're not coming back. Like, they're tired. This is a whole big tour. They're going to be gone to the next city tomorrow. And so there's, like, that anticipation. Will they come out? They didn't play that one song that was, like, actually really, even though it was a B-side, it was very popular. They didn't play that. Maybe that's what they're going to do for Encore. And then when they come out and they play your favorite song, or maybe they do a remix of lots of songs or something, or they do a cover of another band that you really like, you know, Crowd Goes Berserk. It's, like, pretty awesome. Um, so that's kind of what I think of when I think of those feelings. I mean, it's kind of lighthearted. But when you think about Easter, okay, Jesus told them, look, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die, and I'm going to be raised back. But I don't think he spoke a lot in analogies and parables, so they might not have really understood it. And certainly not everybody was there every time he spoke. So I'm sure a lot of the people, the disciples and other people that were there following, were thinking, is this it? Like, is this, is this it? He died. He was supposed to be the Messiah that with physical power, with an army, with swords, was going to conquer and kick out all these people that are ruling over us. Um, that was really what they were expecting. And we've talked about that in the last few weeks, Adam has. And, you know, then he died, and the next day, nothing. And so that's when doubt creeps in. That's when people are thinking, well, surely there's something else. We put our whole hope and life in this guy and they didn't really know the full picture yet um but I think a lot of them had a lot of hope um but there was probably a lot of doubt mixed in a lot of anticipation and then even last week when we were at the rock celebrating Easter um we heard about the tomb is empty Mary Magdalene was the first one who told um told the other apostles, the disciples, he's gone. The tomb's empty. 
And then it's like, build, it starts to build. The anticipation, the expectation, what's happening? Is this, does somebody steal his body? Or is he a ghost? Is he, you know, they didn't really know. But that's when it starts to build. Um, and that's kind of where we find ourselves right now in this story. Um, there was probably a lot of confusion I know last week I loved the word I love the word mystery because I think no one word describes the Bible in general more than mystery. Um, anybody who says I know exactly what the Bible means by every single word, they I don't believe them. It's it's there's a lot of mysterious things that happen in the Bible and a lot of things that I th- the Bible is living and I think we can learn a lot from it. But mysterious, it definitely is. And so what's next? What's going to happen? So that's where we find ourselves. And I'm not going to, tonight I'm not going to talk about the very next time something happened. I'm going to skip to a story that has always really fascinated me. Um, And so the title here is Breakfast with Jesus. Some people call this, you know, Breakfast on the Beach, Breakfast with Jesus. Um, um, And it'll be a story that you have heard before. And before I get into the text of John 21, I want to read just a part of the previous chapter. And it's not on a slide, not that that matters right now anyway. Um, So you can just know that this is from the previous chapter. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So, God, we pray that you would bring life in Jesus' name to us tonight and our neighbors as we live our lives. Um, I had actually kind of already planned on doing something with this text. It's very fitting now. I'm going to read through most of John 21, and I'm going to read it just in the NIV, um, but I'm going to kind of read it like a story. And as I read, you can open up your Bible if you'd like, but I'd like for you just to listen to it as a story. If you want to close your eyes, you can, whatever you're comfortable with, but I want you to imagine this really happening. I want you to imagine almost like it's a movie and you're there in person, almost like it's a live action play. If you find yourself identifying with one of the characters, imagine it through their eyes. If you're a bystander, that's fine too. So this is from John 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee, and it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going to go out and fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore But his disciples did not realize it was Jesus. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. I didn't mean to read that twice, but it's worth noting. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did... They were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off 
and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore, and it was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And he said to him, follow me. And then the, I'm going to skip to the end. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that could be written. The word of God for the people of God. Okay, so hopefully you've heard that story before. I think a lot of people have, but if you haven't, hopefully, hopefully you enjoyed it and your imagination puts you right smack in the middle of that story. Um, at the beginning, and I shared this with my, uh, with my group, uh, my neighborhood group. Oh, I don't know, if, I guess it, it was a week, the week before last. I was telling them that I was going to be speaking on this and one of the reasons is there's a whole, this series called Holy Moly that we use with the kids, and we actually watched it. I was like, this is one of my favorite Holy Moly videos. If I tried to explain what Holy Moly is, y'all would just, if you've never seen it, it would be kind of interesting, but they don't speak in words. It's, it's more um, pictures and, um, and all that, but it's one of my favorite ones because it's kind of just, What? And then what? And then, oh, that's interesting. It's one of those stories. Um, when Jesus called them to throw that net on the other side, they were probably thinking, okay, why? That's literally like not that many feet over fish. It's not like we're talking about over a fence or anything. Um, but they did, and something extraordinary happened. Even them just being out in the boat, if you think about it this way, it, that wasn't that abnormal. Um, Peter and several of them were fishermen, so they just had kind of returned to just doing what they did before Jesus. So that was pretty ordinary, all right? 
And there are many stories in which they find themselves in a boat and Jesus appears and does something miraculous. So I think when they looked back on this story, they were like, oh yeah, we were just doing our ordinary thing, fishing like we always do. And then Jesus showed up and something kind of crazy happened. And when he did that, when Jesus told them, throw the net on the other side, and then they did it and they hauled in the fish. They had to have known in that instant, something's up. Something is happening. And then later they recognize why this happened. And this is how it is sometimes. Sometimes we're just going about our ordinary lives, and God calls us to do something in a different way, a different thing, or just something we do every single day. And we just do it a little differently, and we don't even know why. It might not even be intentional. And then something really extraordinary happens. And we really only notice it when we're looking to notice Jesus' hand. Um, They could have chalked it up to luck. I'm sure none of them, at the end of this story, went home and told their families, we got really lucky. We threw the net on the other side, and we got a lot of fish. And I'm not saying that sometimes things just happen. But sometimes things, sometimes people call this a God thing. You ever heard anybody say, oh, this was a God thing? Sometimes uh, people call these things miracles. Um, I know that I've heard Pastor Adam call it God's fingerprint before. There are some things that just have that feeling of this was an intervention. This was supernatural. And they recognized it because they lived with Jesus and they saw a lot of these things happen. So they knew it when it did happen. And so my question for you is, what is Jesus calling you to do differently? Or if you do something differently and an extraordinary thing happens, are you recognizing that as a God fingerprint, a God thing, a miracle when it happens? It's a blessing when we recognize the miracles that come into our life. I really believe these things happen all the time, and we're just not paying attention enough to know that it happens. And so it really is a blessing when we recognize it. Once they come ashore, and if you notice that part about where it said uh, Peter needed to put on his outer garment because he had taken it off, that's just a fishing thing, you know. But I always imagine these big togas Have you ever tried to swim in, like, full-on clothes? Like, not a T-shirt, but, like, has anybody ever thrown you in a pool and you're, like, trying to swim? And then they weren't in a true ocean, but they were in a sea that had some waves. And I imagine that that was pretty difficult. But I also imagine that when Peter figured out that this was Jesus on the shore, there were lots of memories going through his head about being on the water, Remember that there was a time when they were in a boat with Jesus and he calmed the storm. There was a time when Jesus was walking on water and Peter said, I want to do that too. And he does. And then he starts to sink. You know, that's in another chapter. Um, So Peter really has the best of intentions and we'll get more into him in a moment. Um, But sometimes he starts off with all the ambition in the world and he fades out. Um, I know I can relate to that. I don't know if you can, too. Um, So they do get to shore. Peter in his outer garment, swimming into shore, you know, because he thinks he can beat the boat. And he probably did beat the boat because they were 
they had the full uh, net of fish dragging along with them. Um, they get to the shore, all of them as fast as they can. They see Jesus. At this point, they would have known what was up. But their time with him, they hadn't really fully got to reunite with him since his crucifixion. I'm sure they had a million questions. I'm sure they had a million things they wanted to say. Uh, a million things that they wanted to hear from him. Like, what's happening? What does this mean? What are we going to do next? Where are we going? And so when we get into the next part, I'll just briefly read the text again. And I'm picking up on verse 7 if you want to follow along. Um, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. That's John. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say that, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed him in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. I feel like 100 yards is kind of far from shore when I read that. Anybody else? But for them, I guess it wasn't. And when they landed, remember, they're getting there as fast as they can. When they landed on the shore, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Now, their life, fish for us, fish and bread, strikes a memory, hopefully. If you, I mean, if you have been in church and learned a lot or re read the Bible, you're probably thinking of another story. And I'll ask in a minute and see if anybody can tell me. Fish was a very common part of their world. They were fishermen. They probably ate fish for almost every meal or at least every day. And they certainly ate bread quite a bit. Um, so it was morning time. I don't know if you caught that. They hadn't eaten all night. And there's Jesus on the shore with bread and fish. And I don't even really like fish, but like just thinking about it, like my stomach's kind of growling and I'm thinking, where am I going to eat dinner tonight? Um, in the morning, you're hungry because you haven't eaten all night. Um, if you didn't know, that's where we get our word breakfast from. We're breaking our fast. They weren't just fasting from eating that night. They had been fasting, essentially, from Jesus' presence, his physical presence at least. They had spent their whole lives with him for quite a while before the crucifixion. They had eaten together. They had prayed together. They traveled around together. They were staying in people's houses. And then things happen, and now they're separated from Jesus. And there's, like we said before, mystery, confusion, anticipation, and hope. But they hadn't really been with Jesus not really, like, spent that much time with him. So there's a reunion of sorts, um, a reunion that brings restoration. So what else do you think they were thinking of as they were eating this bread and fish around the hot coals on the beach? This is the audience participation time. What does that make you think of? Y'all got to know, I'm a teacher. This is my favorite thing, a uh, silent room, because that means I get to call on anybody. No. Well, they did get to catch the fish, and they brought it to them. 
So that's the mystery. Yeah, what's up with that? He also had died, so, like, does he need to eat? I mean, I'm serious. This was a question that I would have. Is he a spirit? But what else do you think fish and bread made them think of? He fed people with a few fish and a few loaves of bread. I'm sure they thought about that often because that was a pretty miraculous thing. That was a fingerprint of God thing. The, the scriptures are pretty clear about the numbers there and I, in the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And I think because they just wanted to make sure everybody who read the story knew this wasn't like a, we just rationed it really well, but this was, this couldn't have happened without God. This was a meal. Think about the last meal, too. And there's not just one answer to this question, by the way. There's lots of answers, but what was the last meal that they had shared with Jesus? We call it the Last Supper. And um, we'll celebrate it later tonight with communion. And every time they ate with Jesus, after then, they had to have been thinking about that Last Supper, how meaningful that was, how intense it was. They had lots of questions at that point. Um, By the time we get to Peter right here, Peter has gone through a whole lot. Um, Adam kind of made a little joke last week at Easter about how Peter and John kind of had this like, I'm going to get there before you do, or I'm going to look back, but I'm going to go into the tomb before you do. There was sometimes between the disciples a little bit of jockeying for position. We want to be at your left and right. And uh, I love that that's included in the Gospels because it really shows that these people struggled with a lot of the same things we struggle with, pride not wanting to be left out, um, wanting to know that what we're doing is right by the people we admire and love. And Peter had was kind of in the inner circle. He had done a lot of things. He was a leader amongst the disciples, but he had done a lot of messed up things at this point. Um, remember how when Jesus was in the garden praying and he, and he said, pray, and they fell asleep? That's hard. That's hard to take when Jesus comes back and his friends fell asleep. Um, also, remember that when they come to collect Jesus before they arrest him, when they're about to arrest him, um, Peter steals a sword and cuts off the guy's ear. He's ready to fight because he's thinking, that's what we're going to do. That's what we're here for. We're here to establish your kingdom. You're going to be the king. And Jesus says, not that way. And he heals the ear. He puts the sword away. So Peter was really trying to do the things that he had learned. Like, this is how we should do these things. Um, The whole season of Lent, if you hadn't been here, we've been reading this book. I'm going to read a passage out of it in a little bit. But the unvarnished Jesus. And... There's a lot in our culture, and the disciples of their time were influenced by their own culture of what they thought Jesus should have been. And we are too today, if we're not careful. We're more informed by our own culture than by Jesus if we don't watch it. That's why we've always got to come back to him. So before we get to this last part, I just want to ask you, 
as they were sitting around with this meal with Jesus, the last meal they had had with him before was the time before he was crucified. And they'd gone through a lot in a very short amount of time, you know, days here. And they're just spending time with him, eating breakfast, doing something pretty ordinary again, but it becomes extraordinary because Jesus is there. And I'm sure Peter at this point was thinking, does Jesus know I just denied him three times while he was being tried and killed? I said I didn't even know him when I was ready to kill someone for him. And someone just said, hey, don't you know that guy? Nope, I don't. I think I've seen you with him. No, I've never seen Jesus. But you sound a lot like a Galilean. Nope, not from there. I'm not, I'm not with him. Peter has, I mean, this is, this would be going through my mind nonstop. I would feel like, I hope Jesus doesn't know, but I, but if he does, like, I want to make this right. So during this meal, Peter and Jesus have a side conversation. This is where Jesus says, "Um, do you love me? And he asks them three times, just like the three denials. And Peter says, yes, I love you every time, essentially, and then Jesus says, feed my, land, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep. And um, I've heard this passage before, and there's a lot of different interpretations as to what Jesus might have meant. Um, but here's what I do know. Jesus is love. Jesus is love. We know that. He didn't, there was no shame in Peter. Hey, Peter, I know you denied me three times. So I'm going to be like, are you sure you love me? Because I don't think you do. Because you just told people, there, there isn't that. Because that's not who Jesus is. It is in love that he brings Peter back to him. He knows Peter loves him. And he's giving Peter instructions. And this is what it's really about. You mess up, you come back, and... Loving me is tied up with loving my people. It's all tied up together. Not in a workspace salvation, but in a this is what my kingdom is about. Loving each other. Taking care of each other. And I'm not sure you noticed it when I read it the first time. But after he kind of gives a nod to an indicator about how Peter might die, how Peter will die. He said, follow me. And those are the first words that most of the disciples heard from Jesus. When Jesus first comes on the scene, he walks up to the disciples, catches them doing their ordinary things, and he says, follow me. So that's his call. Even when we mess up, even when Peter messes up, follow me. Loving Jesus is loving his people. We know that Peter got it in a big way during this. This was a really interesting encounter. But if you read on, and I love that uh, passage that Miguel read um, out of Peter. Peter goes on to be this great preacher. He actually preaches a big sermon at the Pentecost where the Holy Spirit is shown to the people. Um, and he becomes the rock, the start of the church, essentially. Um, However, Peter really struggles with loving all the people. 
Um, this is a whole different message for another day, but Peter had been around Jewish people. He was used to ministering to Jewish people. He was down with that. He struggled with the whole, let's love the Gentiles and everybody else too. Um, but he did get there. He did um, follow Jesus his whole life, even when Jesus wasn't physically there. So I want to ask, who are we called to take care of? Us as a church, me, as Toby, you, who are you called to take care of? Who are the sheep that we're called to take care of or feed? And how do we do it? It seems like there's more need than we even could possibly do. If you ever drive around Dallas or Garland, and you really pay attention to the people in need on the street, um, and I'm not just talking about money and people that don't have homes, but just all the heartbreak. It's overwhelming. So how do we do it? I want to share with you um, a Dallas Willard quote. Um, I'll read it. It is back there as well if you want to look. Um, Jesus does not call us to do what he did, but to be as he was, permeated with love. Then the doing of what he did and said becomes the natural expression of who we are in him. When I first saw this quote, it kind of caught me off guard because I think, of course we're called to do what Jesus did. The whole bracelet thing. What would Jesus do? That was my whole life in the 90s. That's how I knew what I was supposed to do and what I wasn't. And it's not saying don't do what Jesus did. But what is his call? His call is follow me. Follow me means be with me. Be in my presence. I wish I could have breakfast with Jesus. I have so many questions that I would love to, like, actually say out loud and get, like, an audible answer. Um, we do have the Holy Spirit. We have Jesus. Um, so what, every time I think, I wish I could have breakfast with Jesus. Have breakfast with Jesus tomorrow morning. When you have breakfast, when you wake up and you're breaking your fast, whether by food or just in consciousness, do that with Jesus. He's there. And recognize that that is a place of love. No matter what, fill in the blank. When we do this, when we spend time with Jesus, and I've seen it happen, I've seen this happen so many times with people that over the course of time, their hearts are transformed. They are transformed. You can see God's fingerprint in their life. Not that everything's perfect. Not that they don't ever sin or get angry or get irritated or forget something or don't show up or talk bad about someone behind their back, or even betray a friend. Those things still happen sometimes. 
But the call to come back and follow Jesus is, is our main call as disciples of Jesus. And that is who we become in him. Um, speaking of things you forgot to do or just didn't do because you were too tired, if you're like me, there's probably many of these days you just didn't do. If you were like in the beginning of Lent, you're like, this book is so awesome. I'm going to do this every day. This time, I'm really going to do this every single day. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but just know that I'm there with you if that was you. Um, it's still there, by the way, and so is Jesus, whether it's this book or not. It doesn't have to end with the season of Lent. But there was one day that I had read, not on the day I was supposed to, it was another day, and then I went back and I remembered something when I was preparing for this message, and um, it is on day 28, if you want to know, and you want to look it up later, if you did read this book, um, and it was the fourth station of the cross. Jesus is denied by Peter. I won't read you the whole thing, although the whole thing is pretty short. Um, but Brian Zahn has a gift with words when it comes to how he describes people. A way that you go, oh, that kind of describes me too. Um, and I love that. Basically, he describes Peter as someone who wasn't a coward, he was ready to lay down his life and fight physically so Jesus wouldn't be arrested. He wasn't a coward in the sense that we know it. All right? Um, but he did deny Jesus. And when he denied Jesus three times, if you haven't heard the story, a rooster crowed. And Jesus predicted that this would happen. So that rooster crowed after Peter's third denial, and he had to have known, oh, wow, I, I'm ashamed. I can't believe I did this. It has to be a pretty low point for Peter. And so this is what Brian Zahn says. I suppose we've all heard that rooster crow, the rooster of conviction that alerts us to how we failed to live up to our lofty promise to faithfully follow Jesus and we've all known the bitter tears of self-reproach induced by our failure. Yet this is one of the things I love about the Bible. It makes no attempt to cover up the sins of its seminal figures and heroes. And we who are sinners, called to be saints, should find comfort in this. It's not sin that disqualifies us as disciples of Jesus, but quitting. Peter denied Jesus, but he didn't quit, and he was forgiven and restored. Judas betrayed Jesus and hung himself. Judas's betrayal of Jesus and Peter's denial of Jesus were not categorically, categorically different sins. They may have differed in culpability, but they were similar. If Peter could be forgiven and restored, so could Judas. When you hear the rooster crow, you may weep bitterly for a while, but don't give up, don't quit, don't hang yourself. The rooster's crow of conviction doesn't signal the end of your journey. It just helps you get back on track. Just as Jesus restored Peter, Jesus can restore you. And it's from a place of restoration and our brokenness that we can actually help other people. This is exactly what Jesus told Peter. I have prayed for you and that your faith may not fail. 
And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And if you haven't come to know Jesus as a Savior yet, this I have to say to you. Anytime Jesus speaks to us, whether through another person, through the words, the living word of God, the Bible, or maybe you do hear it audibly, it's always in love. The conviction is just there, and we lay that down at his feet, just like anything else. Lord, I just thank you so much that we have your word, we have your Holy Spirit, we have the knowledge of you, and that love before all else prevails, that when I hear that rooster crow of conviction, I don't have to hide in my shame, but I get to come feast with you, and I'm only met with love. I pray, Lord, for our church that our church would know you more, that we would spend time just being with you, that we would enjoy your presence, and that you would teach us who you are and form our hearts as well. I pray, Lord, for those that don't know you, that haven't felt your forgiveness or your love, that they would feel it in such a strong way, in a God fingerprint, miracle kind of way, that they would know that it was you. And any doubt, Lord, you would break through that doubt. Go now as God's chosen witnesses to testify that Christ has been raised and that we are raised with him. Do not look for him among the dead, but be glad and rejoice in his salvation. May God raise you from all that would entomb you. May Christ Jesus call you by name and go ahead of you. May the Holy Spirit empower you for what lies ahead. Go in peace to love and serve God and neighbor, for he is risen indeed.